integrating dis disparate data sources into a coercive system has been a complex complex task. You know, like when I say um, disparate sources, it it can also sometimes mean uh, having to deal with multiple cloud providers. It could be you know public cloud providers, uh, AWS, GCP, mm -hmm. or Azure, mm -hmm. or it could be mm -hmm. even private cloud sometimes mixed with hybrid cloud. So initially, when all these companies started, especially large ones, they didn't know which one to choose. And so they ended up doing private and hybrid. And, you know, they were pretty much trying out, you know, like without a, a path to go. And once they all kind of zeroed on to some kind of a cloud provider, now it's a Herculean task to kind of like, you know, bring it from all these different sources and kind of ensure that the data is secure, compliant with evolving regulations like GDPR or CCPA, mm -hmm. uh, which has become critical at the global level, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. additionally, I think extracting actionable insights from big data uh, using all these advanced analytics and AI has been a priority. But balancing data accessibility with um, privacy concerns, uh, for example, and keeping uh, keeping up with the rapidly changing technology landscape, or even localization laws and you know like global laws, political environment, um, has become key challenges for these large large organizations. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a senior technology leader with an unparalleled career. She has spearheaded global projects valued up to $1.9 billion, forecasted technology revenues of up to $14 billion, led teams of over 1,500 professionals and delivered products that benefit over 140 million customers worldwide. Now she's a big player in one of the biggest professional services organizations in the world. Sit down and enjoy. It's the new series on Heads Talk. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Nima Wuthapa is the Senior Technology Executive, aka the Chief Data Officer, and the Head of Engineering, Cloud, Data Analytics, and AI at McKinsey & Company. Renowned for her visionary leadership in guiding enterprise to achieve remarkable digital transformation, data analytics, and AI-driven success across diverse industries such as pharmaceuticals, medical, banking, utility, construction, and the military, she has a record of consistent innovation, revenue generation, and strategic excellence. Prior to this role, she has held several leadership roles in the Indian Navy, American Express, McKesson Corporation, to name a few. She volunteered for organizations for uh, such as Girls in Tech, 
and has added author to her many titles with the publication of the book called The Cinderella Elephant, written to coach young managers starting their careers. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Nima to Headstalk. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine. Um, hello, everyone. Excellent. Thank you. Um, okay, let's begin with this. Provide my listeners with a, a more detailed introduction to your role by way of explaining what the head of engineering for cloud data analytics and AI do within a professional services organization. Um, thank you, Elaine. Uh, the head of engineering for cloud data analytics and AI leads the strategy as well as the implementation of cloud-based analytics and AI solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, this role involves strategizing and overseeing projects, products, managing technical teams, ensuring integration with existing systems, mm -hmm. and also kind of aligning with business objectives. Mm -hmm. uh, the role is also responsible for driving innovation, uh, handling budgeting, resource allocation, collaborating across departments to deliver kind of an efficient, scalable solution. But also focusing on um, data security and compliance with industry standards. So uh, just to give you a perspective, when I was hired into the role, the mandate for me was to take all the data from on-prem to cloud. Um, and as an example, we had two data warehouses that needed to be combined to one uh, to create a single source of truth. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the biggest mandates uh, while taking all the application to cloud. And I also co-led the finance transformation for the data part in parallel uh, to enable better revenue recognition for McKinsey. Mm, interesting. And, you know, we know cloud services have been evolving, but, but in the last few years, especially post-COVID, it's literally transformed. Where can consulting companies best contribute during this transformation? You know, um, consulting firms have always been pivotal in navigating the complex evolving cloud services landscape. You know, I, I haven't really met a CEO or an organization, barring maybe the smaller organization, which has, hasn't hired a, a top four or top eight firms for consulting. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the reason they do that is they offer strategic planning, aligning cloud initiatives with business goals. Um, they can also do some custom solution development, you know, that's tailored to unique business needs of a particular company. Um, consulting companies also kind of help with the security and compliance guidance because mm -hmm. they're so well aware of the adherence to re regulations and best practices mm -hmm. uh, by the virtue of working with multiple companies side by side and in parallel. Mm -hmm. um, and also they ensure cost optimization, you know, which is critical because once yeah. they are hired, they're helping the business efficiently uh, kind of managing the cloud resources. Mm -hmm. um, in parallel, I think uh, consulting companies can also provide essential technical expertise, especially in architecture design and problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, and additionally, we also assist in integrating cutting edge technologies like AI analytics, uh, Gen AI now, you know, in enhancing the business insights. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, I think uh, what cons uh, consulting companies do is bring that 360 degree view, which is more like training and change management to support the organizations to adopt new technologies. Uh, vendor selection, management of the vendor selection, uh, advice for the right partnership uh, for successful cloud implementations, things like that. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, what's happened these days is, um, especially in the case of smaller or mid-sized companies, 
Um, this also look, um, includes looking at their legacy architecture to determine if they cater to the future scalability and reliability of use cases and innovation. You know, a lot of these smaller companies have grown over the years or mid-sized companies. And it's important there's a, a mid-course review of some of these legacy systems. And I think that's where the consulting companies come into play. Um, and as you know, um, you know, tech changes every day, pretty much every day. And the pace of change for technology is only getting smaller by the day. So mm -hmm. it's important to design and offer consultancy for resiliency, not just reliability. Mm -hmm. A lot of challenges for these organizations. Let's let's continue to concentrate on such organizations' challenges, especially on their uh, data storage and management journey. Firstly, um, what have been the challenges for large organizations in recent years in this space and how have they mitigated some of the issues? You know, like I mentioned previously, you know, some of these organizations have grown over the years. Some are like 100 plus years old, you know, uh, so mm -hmm. they have faced significant data challenges recently, including managing massive data volumes, you know, and ensuring data quality and accuracy, you know, like the multiple mm -hmm. sources of truth sometimes. Uh, so integrating dis disparate data sources into a cohesive system has been a complex complex task, you know, like when I say um, disparate sources, it, it can also sometimes mean uh, having to deal with multiple cloud providers. It could be, you know, public cloud providers, uh, AWS, GCP, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. or it could be mm -hmm. even private cloud sometimes mixed with hybrid cloud. So initially when all these companies started, especially large ones, they didn't know which one to choose. And so they ended up doing private and hybrid and, you know, they were pretty much trying out, you know, like without a, a path to go. And once they all kind of zeroed on to some kind of a cloud provider, now it's a Herculean task to kind of like, you know, bring it from all these different sources and kind of ensure that the data is secure, compliant with evolving regulations like GDPR or CCPA, mm -hmm. uh, which has become critical at the global level, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. additionally, I think extracting actionable insights from big data uh, using all these advanced analytics and AI has been a priority. But balancing data accessibility with um, privacy concerns, uh, for example, and keeping uh, keeping up with the rapidly changing technology landscape, or even localization laws and you know like global laws, political environment, um, has become key challenges for these large large organizations. It's not like um, <laughs> I just wonder what's not included in the challenges for these organizations because it, it's thrown in quite a lot of information there. Um, and, and I'm wondering, and sort of secondly, um, where do organizations, in particular large organizations again, start mm -hmm. their data journey from premise to cloud? I know you've gone through digital transformation in various industries. Could you, you know, best describe some of the, the, the priority steps in their journey? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I think um, uh, for most part, most large organizations that I've been part of typically start their journey from on-prem to cloud by first conducting a thorough assessment of where they stand, meaning like what is their current data infrastructure and business needs, you know, and then they develop a strategic cloud migration plan prioritizing data and applications based on the complexity and the business value that comes out of it, you know, for example, like the um, high um, availability applications are grouped separately from the rest of the applications, you know, and uh, this is followed by choosing a suitable cloud provider, 
um, and a migration approach, whether it's phased all at once or a hybrid strategy, that is up to the organizations. Typically, it is a phased um, delivery for most part. And so initial pilot projects often precede full-scale migrations. Um, you know, sometimes they choose the high availability ones, sometimes they choose the quick wins, uh, depending on the risk appetite from the organization. And then the key focus areas will be data security, compliance, um, minimal disruption to operations, day-to-day -day operations. They have to continue the business. Um, and uh, it's more or less a structured approach, you know, um, and I know a lot of agility and agile approach has been spoken. That's more at the implementation level. But I think the major planning is more is very structured even to this day. Um, and, and we need to ensure that there is minimum risk while uh, leveraging those cloud benefits. Um, and one of the uh, and some of the housekeeping items that I would like to include uh, for this audience is uh, uh, setting up a program management office that oversees end-to-end -end journey, you know, like having the right checklist, having a bird's eye perspective of the entire transformation is also very important. You know, like you don't want to be doing a lot of things and nobody knows the end-to-end -end view, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, the the th some of the things I've done uh, during the digital transformation journey is actually mapping the current state, finding the gaps, and then like asking a question, what should be our ideal state? What should it look like five years from today? And because ideal state is not always possible to achieve on year one or year two, uh, you have to identify your future state. What is the um, initial state or the foundation state that you're aiming to do? And then create moonshot views of those, like you know the, the kind of initiatives that you want to take. And then like uh, bring to your leadership or, uh, and uh, let them know, hey, this is a foundational state. This will be the transformational and this, the third step will be aspirational, where we'll be more doing uh, automation and you know monitoring, alerting, and a, a lot of manual step will be cut by the third state. You know mm -hmm. that's how I look at it um, for large organizations. Okay, and and you've you've touched upon this, but I want to sort of expand on it a bit. So, in your vast experience, how do you um, help the clients address the challenges of data integration and interoperability when working with um, data from various sources, formats, um, for example, the multi-cloud environment. I think you've touched upon it, but can you expand? Sure. Um, I think a client or any large organization is uh, pretty much the same. You know, uh, in order to tackle uh, data integration and interoperability in the multi-cloud, a focus on establishing a unified data management strategy is the key there. You know, um, mm -hmm. for that, utilizing advanced integration tools like ETL, you know, extract, uh, mm -hmm. transfer. Build, um, and we have serverless architecture, microservices, uh, things like that today that we can take advantage of. And uh, middleware that enables seamless handling of um, diverse data sources and formats. Uh, those are also important. Um, and also embracing API-driven architectures. Um, you know, they facilitate efficient data exchange across data platforms, different data platforms. Um, and also implementing robust data governance, you know, uh, ensuring data consistency, quality. We spoke about this accuracy, you know. Um, mm. For me personally, uh, it's important to have a data catalog for every organization, you know, like where metadata management uh, system is the key that gives you an end-to-end -end, uh, view or the data lineage. Um, in one of the organizations mm. that I work for, um, just to give you an example, we developed a single pane glass view of every data set that was coming into the catalog. 
you know, just to give what that data set looked like, what are the APIs associated with it? Uh, what was the workload? Who was using it? A primary customer, secondary customer, uh, if there was any breach to that data set, pretty much everything in a single pane glass view, you know, and so that is the key to establishing that uh, unified data management strategy. And mm -hmm. from there on, it's almost like establishing your next gen, um, you know, systems, like which is mm -hmm. like, you know, choosing your right data lake or microservices, API management, uh, real-time analytics, pretty much all those things come into play. So you you are the person in, in the know. So what are the main areas of concern for them? Um, I think uh, some of the concerns is like, you know, not having the skill sets, you know, people, people uh, play a big role. You know, you may have a grand vision, but other um, skill sets that is required for implementation mm -hmm. um, within your organization. So that is kind of like a mapping exercise that you pretty much need to undertake in the very beginning. Um, and I, I think most organizations do it, but also having a structured and planned approach to implementing upskilling of your people is important. You know, you can all you can hire the right ones, but it takes time and that pushes the kind of the digital transformation by that many months or years. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you do uh, upskilling in parallel. And uh, one of the things we did was like uh, we called it immersion days. So we pretty much undertook um you know, a very structured approach to training and upskilling, which really helped on on the job. You know, it wasn't like, okay, general training. It was more on the job training for our people. Mm -hmm. Yes, I yeah. can that helping. Um, let, let's talk about a, a favorite of yours, data analytics. Um, how do you choose the best use cases for data analytics? Um, I think for me, choosing the best use case for data analytics involves um, identifying areas with high potential for impact and improvement. You know, um, uh, for me personally, what has worked in the past is uh, actually bringing in all the use cases from all corners of, um, you know, the, mm -hmm. the company and kind of um, uh, even uh, scoring it in terms of ROI versus uh, EOI mapping. When I say ROI written on investment versus mm -hmm. ease of implementation, mm -hmm. you don't want to be picking up a use case that can bring in, let's say, um, 40 million revenue, but uh, will take about 10 years to implement or things like that. You know, So identifying those quick wins is very important. And that's where the ROI versus uh, ease of implementation or EOI mapping comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, then, um, you know, what I've done is like I usually go with four to five buckets like, you know, cost avoidance, revenue, revenue generation, re uh, regulatory and compliance, process improvement and automation. You know, which of these categories do these use cases fall into? And then based on the appetite of the organization, you know, each organization is different. So every organization that I've worked with has uh, had a risk appetite that is different and um, want uh, or playing importance to some of these categories are very differently in terms of risk weight, right? So, um, so for, uh, let's say for a healthcare, maybe um, regulatory and compliance is more important and banking the same thing. Uh, whereas in some other company, revenue generation may be more important. So prioritizing areas with clear measurable objectives to ensure actionable outcomes. That is the key there, right? And evaluating the feasibility and resource requirements in order to undertake these use cases, uh, including technical capabilities that we just spoke about, you know, investment needed. Uh, mm -hmm. All these are important factors 
And finally, I think aligning with overall business strategy and goals, you know, to ensure that data analytics is not just doing use cases, you know, that's just picked by a data analytics team, but also kind of supporting the broader organizational objectives. That is the key there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talked about the past. I, I want to know uh, what sort of pivotal role do you see data analytics playing in the future? I think data analytics is a key uh, for uh, transforming decision making and driving innovation across industries. You know, like I've, I've been part of multiple industries so far, um, but I think that is a key. Like data analytics, now we have Gen AI, everything coming into play, but I think data is the key, you know, into transforming decision making. Um, mm-hmm. also driving innovation. Uh, and it will enable more precise uh, predictive in, uh, insights, uh, you know, aiding, almost pretty much aiding in the strategic planning and real-time problem solving. Um, I think it used to be predictive um, until some time, but it's more become prescriptive, um, you know, descriptive. Uh, all these things have gotten added in the last few years. And the better your data, it's the insights are better, right? And so advanced analytics, uh, will also play a crucial role in um, personalizing customer ex- uh, experience, for example, you know, and optimizing operations. You don't want to be spending a ton load of money to get very little in um, in return. So mm-hmm. that's the key there, right? And also um, data analytics, I think personally will be instrumental in tackling global challenges, even like climate change, you know, healthcare, urban planning, uh, providing actionable insights in uh, through vast data sets, you know, and companies are doing JVs, mergers, a lot of this will come into play. Uh, mm-hmm. And just to give you an example, um, at McKinsey, very recently, we used a digital twin technology to design a boat that won the America's Cup, you know, sailing competition uh, that the New Zealand team won. Uh, similarly, just imagine if we could use the digital twin in healthcare, we could design a digital twin for each of us, you know, each individual or a person based on his or medical data. And then like we could possibly predict insights into that person's, you know, healthcare. So things like this, I see more uh, futuristic things coming into play when you have the right data. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't some of that happening already? Yeah, it is happening, but it'll only get advanced with a, um, a lot of those um, technologies, uh, the newer technologies coming into play, like the edge mm-hmm. computing, quantum computing, you know, that those things will only enable them to kind of uh, go into forward thinking or much more faster innovation. Yeah, I think it's more speed than anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, now for the question of the series where all answers given thus far um, have been wide ranging, yeah. Completely different and, and quite frankly fascinating. So, if I say next generation cloud, um, what does that mean to you in your technical capacity? So, I think next generation cloud is uh, is almost like suggestive of a futuristic advanced cloud computing paradigm for me. You know, uh, it would encompass enhanced capabilities like greater scalability, greater resiliency, greater or improved performance and uh, I think efficient uh, resource utilization. Uh, For me, from a CEO's perspective or a CIO's perspective, Mm -hmm. um, it's important that, you know, like um, how these systems perform to enable that um, 
next generation of cloud technology that is more forward thinking, you know, and not just aligning with your current uh, needs. So um, what I would like to highlight, and, and this is one of the important aspects uh, for me personally, again, is uh, resiliency. You know, reliability is important. So far, we have paid a lot of attention to uh, uh, reliability, but mm -hmm. I, I think going forward, resiliency of this system is important. And, um, and and I'll give you an example, like if you take Formula One race, right? All the cars that take part in the Formula One race uh, are designed for reliability. They know they are fast cars, they, they drive and all that. But the car that includes resiliency or uh, um, is basically the one that runs with, let's say, minimal tire changes or something that has a tire puncture but still can go that distance to enable that you know race to continue um is is the one that wins the race you know at some point you know like um so resiliency is very important same thing for systems if there is a breach or, or if there is a system breakdown how much can these systems continue to run and not disrupt the business you know um especially when we consider all this big data and things like that into play uh, mm -hmm. The continuity and resiliencies, uh, I think, will be the key for the next-gen um, systems. So it's really the speed of disaster recovery, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, speed of disaster recovery is one thing, but um, I think the resiliency of the system itself, like, you know, uh, without manual intervention, is is much more important, is the key there, right? You know, how you, have, how you design the system to be resilient, you know, mm -hmm. to continue without... Completely or self self resolving, self-resilient, and not yes, self resolving. I think that's where AI comes into all of this, isn't it? Exactly. Okay. Okay. And and I'm curious as to what are some of the the new roles being created in this space. Um. There, there's so many new roles cr um, created in uh, in different places uh, these days. You know, like um, the, because it's the like I said, the technology is changing at a very fast pace yeah. but if i were to uh, just look at let's say gen ai uh, space today right we have roles like ai ethic ethicist which yeah. was not really a, a focus maybe even two three years ago right like ethical yeah. considerations taking um, are being taken into uh, um, play well the uh, ai development is in uh, in play for most organizations right like ensuring that it's responsible and fair ai yeah. practices yeah. Uh, yeah. For example, or an AI data curator, or a content creation specialist for marketing video. You know, we have seen these TikToks and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, Instagram, but uh, Reels and all that. But you know, even to tra train and uh, create those creative content for text, images, things like that. I think AI content create creator specialist is is also important. Uh, roles like personalization engineer, you know, the, the people who develop personalized user experience for apps, websites, digital platforms, you know, mm -hmm. AI research scientists, um, you know, like uh, a user experience designer, mm -hmm. things like these roles were not in play um, and also prompting. Yeah. Right, like we thought anyone could search, anyone could Google, uh, but these days we have prompt engineers who know how to search. You know, so uh, these are all some of the evolving roles in these uh, in these spaces, and so it's only going to evolve further. I, I don't think there will be an end to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that's interesting. That's very fascinating. Okay, um, now for this particular episode, um, this question. Uh, I've been looking forward to um, you answering it. So, so here goes, um, Nima. What what is your observation on how well data scientists 
engineers and AI um, ML experts work together. Are there collaborative issues? Um, that's a very interesting question. You know, uh, data scientists, engineers, AI ML experts often uh, collaborate effectively because um, in some ways they are forced to, I guess, but there can be challenges. You know, uh, uh, these professionals, all of them bring very distinct skill sets and perspectives, you know, which can lead to an innovation solution. Uh, but it also can potentially have some misunderstandings and communication gaps on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I'd like to highlight it with the description of the roles itself. You know, data scientists, you know, typically focus on data analysis, pattern recognition, statistical modeling, you know, all these things. And engineers are more or less responsible for building scalable, robust systems, you know, that sometimes overlook the nuances of complex data analysis, for example. Mm-hmm. And AI ML experts specialize in developing, tuning machine learning models. They may find it challenging to integrate these models seamlessly into existing uh, IT infrastructure. So they are pretty much dependent on the engineers who don't understand much about these uh, machine learning models. You know, And so the collaboration issues that can arise with all these three different distinctive individuals coming into play could be more like you know, uh, the terminologies for example, used, you know, each discipline has its own jargon and approach mm-hmm. to the communication barriers, um, you know, wearing objectives and priorities, like data scientists may prioritize model over, you know, scalability and performance, whereas an engineer is hell bent on uh, ensuring scalability and performance is a key, you mm-hmm. know, and integration challenges like uh, integrating AI ML models into production systems. Um, that require coordinated effort, but almost like it, it almost becomes a technical uh, logistical hurdle sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the resource and time constraints, you know, sometimes like uh, data scientists or uh, AML engineers sometimes balance the time intensive mm-hmm. process of modeling, mm-hmm. uh, training and refinement, uh, but the engineers need to be uh, are on the hook for let's say a timely efficient deployment so combination of all these roles uh, is it can be challenging you know um and i think uh, that's where a cross disciplinary training or fostering open communication um establishing clear goals and processes i think those are very important uh, to kind of mitigate these issues you know uh, for a cohesive team environment in some sense yeah have you seen in your in your working life have you seen the relationships you know fundamentally not working for whatever reason have you seen that yeah absolutely absolutely it may not be uh, very great to start with but they ultimately find their own a uh, sweet spot I like to call it, you know, like uh, by the virtue of, you know, they find their people, they find uh, it could be an individual, it could be a group of people, they always find those sweet spots who they can rely on, who can, who they can communicate with, you know, where the objectives meet or um, the integration challenges are mitigated by just having that one person on the other team, you know, or a cross-functional team, it has worked, it's worked. And it's also up to the leadership, you know, like the leader uh, leading the a team as such to bring everyone together. A lot of times that also matters, you know, like the tone you set for your team uh, definitely matters in a lot of cases. Okay, okay. Um, let's focus on disruptors for this final question uh, and not necessarily the obvious ones. Um, sort of uh, apart from generative AI, which you mentioned and, and climate change, we've not talked about, but that is always a biggie, climate change. What else is disrupting cloud provision and cloud computing? 
I think we hear a lot of uh, these uh, buzzwords these days, edge computing for one, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where data processing happens closer to the data source. Um, it's shifting some of the computational workloads, you know, from the mm -hmm. centralized cloud data centers, for example. And that reduces the latency and bandwidth uh, usage issue that we see today, you know, and quantum computing is another one. It's pretty emerging at the moment. I wouldn't say it's all out there. It's, it's still in the early stages, um, mm -hmm. you know, my opinion, but it has a promise to revolutionize cloud computing, you know, by offering superior processing capabilities in the future, you know, and mm -hmm. something that we have not seen and heard of. And, and, um, and it, it is possible, like with Gen AI coming, no one thought of Gen AI becoming yes. um, so, uh, you know, out there yes. a few years ago. So I, I am I'm pretty optimistic about quantum computing even, right? Mm -hmm. um, along with all this, uh, I think we also have cybersecurity threats, which have evolved over the years, you know, like uh, as in how the technology, the pace of technology has been really superior in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so is the cyber threat, for example, right? Mm -hmm. and the 5G networks is another one to consider enabling faster, more reliable yeah. internet connections and how we do things and things like that. Uh, but also in parallel, we have regulatory cha uh, changes that happen in pretty much every um, uh, every country, for example. Globally, stricter data privacy regulations are coming yeah. into play. Mm -hmm. Here we have GDPR, but pretty much every country, every continent is thinking of their own um, these yeah. days. You know? It's not uniform, so is it? Yeah, earlier we thought of internet, but now pretty much splinternet is coming into play. <laughs> uh, also, sustainability concerns, climate, you know, like a broader composition of uh, political scenarios and uh, expectation for companies at the political, economical, global level, you know. And also, I see activist investors coming into play where they want companies to work in a certain way, you know, mm -hmm. and deliver goods in a certain way. These are all some of the disruptors, according to me, that can change the product and technology for the future. Thanks for that. That was, that was pretty detailed. I kind of expected maybe one or, or two, but not only have you given quite a few, you've even touched upon the big ones, which I sort of said apart from. So so thanks for that. And I'm sure my listeners will be very appreciative of that. Nima Huthapa, um, it was a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.